Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. There is the work of the flesh. Most of you are familiar with that. It's basically self-destructive and destructive to others. Then there's the work of the devil, and some people try to blame everything they're about on the devil. Now, I want to tell you, even if the devil didn't exist, you'd still have a problem with your flesh. But the devil does exist, so he complicates matters. Your flesh wants to sin, and the devil says, here's a nice temptation. Today we have a new two-part message from Pastor Sam entitled, The Baptism of Jesus. We're looking at Luke 3, starting in verse 15, and we'll be considering the work of baptism by John the Baptist, including Jesus' baptism. So, let's listen in. Luke 3, 15 to 38, title of our study, The Baptism of Jesus. The first part of Luke chapter 3 dealt with the baptism of repentance. And we saw that God had called John, who was in fact a descendant of a priest, so he would have had a ministry in the temple. Well, God called him out to the wilderness where he called people, God's own people, to repent, to stop thinking they were good enough for God or they were acceptable to God or their religious heritage or the feast and festivals and, and the, all of the things that they were trusting in to say, hey, I'm okay, the Lord must be pleased with me. He was saying, no, none of that is enough. God is looking for a heart and a heart for him. And, and so he called them out into the wilderness. He called them to repentance. And, and now we move from the baptism of John, though we'll still be contrasting it, with the, to the baptism of Jesus. Now, before we even jump into the passage, let me tell you why it's oh so important. There is the work of the flesh. Most of you are familiar with that. It's basically self-destructive and destructive to others. Then there's the work of the devil. And some people try to blame everything they're about on the devil. Now, I want to tell you, even if the devil didn't exist, you'd still have a problem with your flesh. But the devil does exist, so he complicates matters. Your flesh wants to sin, and the devil says, here's a nice temptation. And, uh, and so we're going to have to wrestle with those issues. And then, well, there's the work of the Spirit. And, and that's what this particular portion in Luke is all about. The work of the Spirit of God, first well, on the outside and then on the inside, and ultimately not just for us or in us, but through us. We read, first of all, in verse 15, now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, above all, that he shut John up. 
in prison. First thing we have here is a contrast or a comparison between John's baptism and Jesus' baptism. John's baptism, as you are well aware, was physical. It was an outward symbol and sign of an inward change and transformation. And basically, somebody would come into the wilderness. They'd hear John saying preach uh, or preaching repentance. They'd say, well, what does that mean to us? What will that look like? What do you require? And if you weren't here for the last study, I would recommend you to go back and read through that section. But basically, John's baptism was outward and it was physical and it was observable. Jesus' baptism is spiritual. It's more than a symbol or a sign. It is the ultimate reality. And we're not talking about Jesus getting baptized. We're talking about the baptism that Jesus provides to each and every one who, having been convicted of sin, confesses that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. Well, we're, we're going to see exactly how all this comes together. Now, in John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper. The word another is so important in that particular passage and to us today. It means another just like him. You know, there's a, a word for another in the Greek and it's a very expressive language that means another but completely different. But this word for another means another just like him. And, and so he's promising another helper. Some of your scriptures may say another comforter. Both are accurate and true. And he says that he may abide with you forever. Now he's talking about the work and the ministry, the person of the Holy Spirit. Take note with me. First of all, he's a he. And there are those that talk about the Holy Spirit as if he were an it, you know, and, and the, the reality is he's a person, third person in the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to get is, is a foundation and what the baptism of the Spirit is about, what the work of the Spirit is about, what exactly the Holy Spirit is doing. Well, to us and on us and, and for us and through us if he has his way. Well, Jesus says he will abide with you forever. Why? Because Jesus knew he would head to the cross, that he would die, he'd be buried, he'd rise again, he'd ascend back into heaven from whence he had come. And, and so here we have his promise that I'm going to send you another just like me, but he's going to be with you forever. He calls him, and this is John uh, 1417, if you're a note taker, he calls him the spirit of truth and says the world cannot receive him because it neither sees him nor knows him. The spirit of truth, Jesus, the way, the truth and the life, Jesus, the holy one of God, the Holy Spirit called that for a very good reason. And he is also called by Jesus, the spirit of truth. Why? He's another just like Jesus. Then he goes on to say in that particular passage, for you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, the reality, 
today is every person here is engaged in some way with the work of the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you're not yet a believer, the Holy Spirit is with you. The fact that you're here hearing the message is the evidence of that. And the work of the Spirit initially is to to confront us and convict us of sin. It makes it a lot easier on me. See, my job is to speak the truth in love. All I have to do is tell you you're a sinner. And you can say, well, hey, amen, I know that. Or you can say, well, I don't believe I am a sinner. Now, I don't have to ask your friends or your family if you're a sinner. I have it on God's authority that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So you might call it little boo-boos or indiscretions or have some euphemism for it, but God calls it sin. And when the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that word all includes you. So here's my point. I simply declare that you are a sinner. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the job of the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to your heart. And so if you come into this room thinking you're not a sinner and you leave still convinced you're not a sinner, you are resisting God's word and God's spirit. I'm just the messenger. And, and I like what John had to say when they asked him at one point, are you the Christ? And he, and he said, no, I'm just the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The voice. He understood he was the messenger, but it wasn't about him. It was about the message. And that's how it's got to be for all of us as we go out to share. It's not will people like us or receive us or believe us. It's will we be faithful to bring the message because that's the part God will hold us accountable for speaking the truth in love. So he tells them, those disciples, and I say to you today, he says he dwells with you but will be in you. Now, that's his desire for each and every person here. If you're convicted that you're a sinner, but you've never cried out for forgiveness or asked Jesus to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior, you need to do that because the conviction of sin is supposed to bring confession. And when you confess, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And then the work of the Spirit takes on a new dimension in your life, no longer working on the outside, but he actually moves in and takes up permanent residence within. That's what Jesus said. He'll be with you forever. Now, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So important because in Romans 9, he says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Baptized by the spirit into the body of Christ. Now, we're not talking about the body of Christ here at Calvary Chico or even the body of Christ in all the churches in Chico, but the body of Christ universal. And he's saying that happens not by physical water baptism, but by spiritual spirit baptism, baptized into the body. It makes us a part of Christ. It makes us a part of one another. This is why we must be born again, because that's a spiritual, again, reality. Jesus was very clear in this issue. He said that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say you must be born again. So in the very same way, John's saying, hey, baptism of water, baptism of repentance, fleshly 
outward, observable baptism of the Spirit, eternal, inward, and not necessarily something you can see, but the effects of it should be seen by all. There is something else in Ephesians, he tells us, the process, Paul does, he says, after you heard the word of truth, oh, he said, in him you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise until the day of salvation. Now, now here, here's the deal. The process, you heard the word, you believed the good news that Christ died for your sins, was buried and rose again, and then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. Well, I'm speaking as if that were reality for every person here. And my prayer is that it is, that all of you have heard, that all of you have believed, that all of you have received, and if you have, the Holy Spirit no longer works on the outside, he works from the inside out, beginning a transformation that he promises to complete. If you haven't come that far, take the step, pray the prayer, open your heart, confess your sin, let Jesus have control of your wife. Of your wife. Yeah, that too. We're all praying for that. Let Jesus have control of your life. Hey, both are okay, right? There's always something when you get it wrong. The Lord was no doubt speaking to some of you guys. And so uh, Acts chapter one, listen to this one. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples to hang there in Jerusalem. This is after his death, burial and resurrection. Just prior to his ascension, he says, wait to the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John truly baptized with water. So that, that's our reference back to where we're at and why we're sharing this. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's talking to the same group of disciples. He's talking to those same followers and he's saying, okay, you had John's baptism, but you need the spirit baptism. Why? Because a mere outward symbol can't save. A sign can't save. You need the reality of the spirit of God within. And then we get some insight into what the purpose and process of all that is. And in Acts 180 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's uh, the reality of the Spirit of God filling you to overflowing, using you. It's the promise of God's power. The purpose of that power is that you shall be witnesses, he says to me, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, to the end of the earth. Now, there are an awful lot of people saying an awful lot of things about the work of the Spirit, but it's essential that we get this. The Spirit begins His work on the outside. We've seen that. He then moves inside and continues His work, a work of transformation, and He has a third work and a third desire, and that's to fill us or be upon us in order to use us. Now, I agree with my Baptist friends that every believer has the Spirit of God and all the Spirit they need because the Bible says we were all baptized, as I read to you, uh, into one body by the Spirit. If anyone hath not the Spirit of God, he is none of his. I also agree with my Pentecostal friends that there is more that God desires and has for us than sealing us with his Spirit. He wants to fill us and use us. Now, here's the essential point. 
When the Spirit of God fills us or uses us or is upon us, there's a whole lot of ideas floating as far as, well, what's that going to look like and what's that going to be like? But Jesus already told us, he said, when you're filled with the Spirit, you will be witnesses to me. The purpose and point of the filling of the Holy Spirit is that we could be witnesses for the Lord and to the Lord, that we would be more concerned with people coming to know him and his reputation and, and him than, than, well, we're just the messenger again. But the messenger needs to be filled with the spirit because again, we'll either operate in the flesh and that will produce nothing. We'll operate in the energies of the enemy and that will cause all sorts of havoc or we'll operate in the energies of his spirit. So, so the question then becomes, well, what's our relationship? What's your relationship to the Holy Spirit today? Is he on the outside knocking on the door of your heart saying, let me in? Or has he come in and sealed you and you know it? But he's saying, let me have control. Again, it's not so much getting more of him like, you know, he was gas and our tanks running low. So we got to go fill up with the Holy Spirit. That isn't what it's saying. It's him getting all of us using every part of us. Well, there is something else. There are many who get hung up on what happens in Acts chapter 2. So let me walk you through it briefly and, and then make a couple of what I think are important foundational comments related to it. In Acts chapter 2, they're waiting for the promise that Jesus had made that they'd be filled with the Spirit. They're gathered together in an upper room. And we're told that a rushing mighty wind came through the room, cloven tongues of fire sat on each one, and they began to speak in tongues. Now, those tongues were languages, known languages, but not languages known to them. It is a notable miracle, an amazing phenomenon. And so what happens as they're speaking? Well, it's the Feast of Pentecost and people are there from all over the world. They've come from everywhere to be at the feast. And the Parthenians and the Medes and the Elamites and those from Mesopotamia and other places places say, hey, what is this about? We hear these guys proclaiming the wonderful works of God and they're doing it in our own languages. In other words, these guys were praising God in a language they'd never learned. But there were people there who knew those languages. They heard the praise. They gathered the crowd. As the crowd is gathered, Peter does something I think is an absolute essential when it comes to the work of the Spirit or anything attributed to the Spirit. And that is, give a scriptural basis for it. I know a lot of people caught up in all sorts of things, say, well, the Spirit's really doing, or the Spirit's really moving, or the Spirit really... And I'm like, yeah, but where is that in Scripture? Oh, this is a new work of the Spirit. Well, I'm still interested in the work He promised to do, and that I'm sure is Him. And what happens is Peter gives a scriptural basis for the phenomenon. He says, this is that spoken of by the prophet Joel saying in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And I pause there just to say, this is a partial fulfillment. It's not the full fulfillment because it's not the last days. It's not all flesh. It's that local literal fulfillment that will often be filled are fulfilled later in a universal and, and, and total uh, sense. And, and so what he does, though, is he says, hey, Joel talked about this. This is sort of the down payment, if you will, for what he's promised he's still going to do. And then Peter preaches the gospel. The end result of that, 3,000 people get saved. Now, what did Jesus say 
when you're filled with the Spirit, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. And Peter's preaching the gospel. And 3,000 people are added to a church of 120 that particular day. Now, Here's my point. There are those who get all caught up and hung up on the phenomenon. Well, the, the cloven tongues of fire, the rushing wind, the, 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 uh, the people speaking in languages they'd never learned. I'm far more interested in the result because I know there was a purpose for all of this. And God can gather a crowd so many different ways. But let me just say this. We already have a crowd gathered, so we don't need any spiritual phenomenon to get together. And now that we're together, what needs to happen? The gospel needs to be preached, as it always is and will be here. And the word needs to be taught so believers, you, can grow in the Lord. Again, this whole thing of, of focusing on the outward, on the sign, on the evidence, or on this, it misses the real point. Do you know the scriptures say that John... John the Baptist, our martyr here, by the way, came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah, you think, whoa, major miracle worker in the Old Testament. And yet we're told of John, he did no miracle. Why does the scripture point that out? Why does the Holy Spirit, who is the inspiration for the inspirer of the scripture. He points out that though it was the same spirit that enabled Elijah to work miracles that was on John, John didn't work any miracles. Well, not in the sense that, that we'd be like, whoa, look at that, or that's amazing, or I wish I could do that. No, John just stood out in the wilderness and he called people to repentance. And maybe that is a miracle in that generation. It would be like you doing that today or me. But the point is this, when we have a preconception about what God should do or what we want God to do, well, then we're not really waiting to see what he's going to do, what he's intending to do. And the point and purpose of the filling of the spirit, the enabling of the spirit is that we could be witnesses to Jesus. Jesus says when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he will testify of me. So we have the foundation. Spirit comes along and convicts us. We open our heart. We confess our sin. We receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. The Spirit seals us. That's a reality for every born again believer here. Now the Spirit wants to empower and use us. And there's no secret to it. You don't need a book or a tape series or anything. All you need to do is do what, well, we're told to do in Romans. Present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord. You just say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Guarantee you. He'll fill you with his spirit and use you. Why? Because he knows you're never going to accomplish the work of the spirit and the energies of the flesh. You don't have to say, give me your spirit. Oh, you have the spirit. You don't have to say, give me more of your spirit. I don't know that that's even possible. But I do know this. He can have more of you. And he wants more of you. And, and you can easily know if you need to, to do this today. Because you can look back over the last week and say, in what way have I been a, a vibrant witness for my Lord? To whom have I testified? To whom have I shared? Who did I give comfort to? And who did I give an exhortation to? Who did I rebuke in, in his name in a loving way and for, for you know, a loving purpose? Well, in any case... We move from the baptism of the Spirit 
to the baptism of fire. Now, some try to put this together and say, well, this is the work of God in a believer. And there are places where fire is used and, and said it'll test a believer. First Peter 1 Peter 1.7 says the genuineness of our faith being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Christ. Sometimes it uh, fire tests a believer's work. Each one's work, 1 Corinthians 3.13, will become clear. The day will declare it. It will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Malachi 3 speaks of the refiner's fire purifying and purging God's servants, but that's not the fire that he's making reference to here. He says you're gonna be baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire, but he's talking to a diverse group. He's talking to people, some of whom are going to repent, they will receive the spirit baptism. Some of them are going to refuse. They will be awaiting the baptism of fire. I wanna share a scripture with you regarding the work of the spirit that I find fascinating. Romans 8.26 says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we don't know what we should pray for, as we ought to, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which can't be uttered. Now, when I am busy in my weakness, praying for things that are simply not within the will of God, which is something we've all done, the Spirit is stepping in on our behalf and is at work aligning our prayers with that which is within the will of God. Aligning us with the will of God is the process in which we are sanctified by God so that we can be cleansed, set apart, and used by and for the Lord. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.